If you would take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 9, we're going to look at verses 2 to 13 this morning. And as everyone is getting settled there, uh, every so often, I mention this every so often, so I'll continue mentioning it every so often. Um, sometimes we sing hymns that have those, uh, the, the thines and the thees and the he leadeth me. Why can't we just see he leads me? You know, he leadeth me. But honestly, one of the reasons why I think that's, that's so incredibly important is to show that what we're talking about here as far as Jesus and his saving work and what he did upon the cross and the resurrection, this is nothing new. And in fact, all of these songs that, that we sing that are written like that, um, these are songs that were you know, written in the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century. And for all of us that, that love something new and feel like that something is more valuable when it's new, it's a reminder of us that this is a message that is not new, and I'm glad it's not new. It, is, it has stood the test of time. Volt, uh, I think someone once said a long time ago that the Bible is an anvil with a lot of broken hammers all around it. People have tried to do all sorts of stuff to it, but they can't. Because this is his word, and we need, and so that's why when we talk about connecting all people to the truth and hope in Jesus, we're connecting him to the word that has been around forever. And so let's connect with the word this morning, right now. Let's stand together as we look at Mark chapter 9. Again, starting in verse 2, we're going to go to verse 13. And for these, for these next 30, 35, 40, possibly, minutes that we're here, I know there's a lot of distractions. Sometimes these phones can do that. You know, you can look at things and there's all sorts of little notifications that come up that can distract us. Let's just spend the time right now focused on what God has to say to us this morning. Beginning in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he did not know what to say, for they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why must why do the scribes rather why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come and he said to them Elijah does come to, first to restore all things and how it is written that the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt but i tell you Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him you know what it says the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the lord stands forever you may be seated So growing up, I often wondered if my parents were actually human. And I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory sense. I absolutely adore my mom and dad. In fact, on June 9th, they'll be celebrating 67 years 
of marriage. And so, so those of you that have, that have hit the 60 threshold, you have my admiration. I think, honestly, I think anniversaries are worth more to be celebrated than birthdays because it's taking two of you. All you have to do to celebrate a birthday is just hang around. It takes two of you to be able to make that work. No, but the reason being is that I would see my parents, and I got, my, I got the broken in model because my, my brother and sister, my brother and sister, my, mom and dad were 20 and 21 when my sister was born, 21 and 22 when my brother was born. And so it was, they were like 38 and 37, 37, 36 when I was born. So I got the broken in model. They figured out what to do. I think my brother and sister were the experimental children, and all of a sudden here, oh, we'll get it right with this guy. Not, not hardly. I gave them plenty of, uh, plenty of challenges along the way. But, but by, the time I, by the time I got to them and I remembered them, they were already in their 40s, and Dad was so mechanically inclined. And there's some of you here that you can look at something and you can know how to fix it right away. And some of you, you've tried to explain it to me. Gene, I just remember that one time you came in, explained to me what you were doing with the boiler, and you talked for about four or five minutes about that. And I caught, I caught, and this is what I did. And that every, after that, I didn't understand a thing you said. That, that was it. I understood the very, very first part. But, you know, working on, the, on all of these things, and there's some, my dad was so mechanically inclined, and I did not get that from him. My mom knew how to keep things neat and tidy, and, but they both had wisdom that they passed along to me. And what kind of aggravated me, but I appreciated as a teenager was because I, I, I don't know how they knew what was going on with my life, but they somehow knew things that I was into, things that I was thinking, things that I was about to do and about to say. And, and after a while you begin to think, well, these guys just got it all figured out. Well, then I got older and they started letting me in on some things and I realized, okay, they're actually human beings. They pulled back the veil and they would let me know, well, you, you guys are actually human beings that had actual struggles along the way to try to figure out. And this analogy is a huge stretch Armstrong stretch in, in, in what we're getting ready to talk about th- this morning. Because you think about it, because Jesus was very upfront about who he was with his disciples. As we've been going through Mark 9, there was no secret that Jesus was telling him, that, telling them that he was the son of God. Son of man, which is another term for deity. He was telling, and he, he was healing people. He was raising people from the dead. He calmed the seas. He did all of these things. So it wasn't like that Jesus and his nature really was a secret. But for the most part, most of the times they saw Jesus, they saw Jesus walking around. They saw him hungry. They saw him thirsty. They saw him needing a nap. At the most inopportune times for them, when all the storm was going around, he takes a nap in the hull of the boat. But he, he takes a nap. And now he's talking about suffering, being betrayed, being denied, and ultimately dying. Yes, he was going to ra- be raised again. So the disciples were trying to figure this out. But, but they saw Jesus in the flesh. And so they really understood his humanity. They struggled with the fact that when he started talking about that he was, he was holy God. And I think back then that was the struggle. Now for us, it's like we understand that Jesus is fully God. We have a, we have a hard time believing that he was human, that he had those dealings that he ended up dealing with when he was going along in his life. And so when you think about what is going on here, what, what has happened? Well, it says in verse 2 that it says after six days... 
Jesus took, took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Six days after what? Well, six days after Jesus heals the blind man, and then he asks the question to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, some say that you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Matthew tells us, well done, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Wonderful. And then it goes on to talk about in verse 17, verse 18 rather, you I tell you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Matthew 16, 19, it goes on, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now there's a lot of people that have taken that passage and made it believe that, made it talk about that we, that our words can actually be like God's words and basically telling God what to do. And God, I want you to loose this person. I want you, well, yes, sir, I'll do that. Yes, ma'am, I'll do that. And that's not what's being said at all. What's being said is, is that the key to the kingdom of heaven is faith and repentance. And we preach that message. So if someone, here's your message of repentance. Here's your message of coming to Christ. And they say, I repent, I believe, I trust. They have been loosed from their sin, and they are free to enter in. If they reject that message, they will still be bound. It's the message of the gospel. It's not our words. It's telling God or anybody else what to do. And so we look at this. you got to understand where Peter, James, and John were at this point and why it was so important for Jesus to be transfigured before them. One is that Peter, James, and John were going to have a significant role in the first century of the church. If you read through the book of Acts, um, Peter is going to be the one that's the missionary that's sent to the, to the Jewish people in that area, in the, in the Holy Land. And so God was going to give him that message. And, and when you look at James, James was actually the head of the Jerusalem church that was sending out all of these guys to go to Asia Minor and go into, uh, into the Holy Land as well. John... Well, John was going to be the one that was going to last the longest. Um, Jesus was ascended back to the Father about 33 AD. When John begins to write all of his works in here, the, the Gospel of John, which comes after Luke, the Gospel of John, and then you'll see 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which Our Lady's Bible study is going through right now. At least that's what I've heard. I haven't been allowed to go and be a part of that class for whatever reason, but I understand that they're going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then the last book of the Bible, also penned by the Apostle John, which is the book of Revelation, good. And so when, when John is writing all of this stuff, and so th- there, there was a role that Jesus is preparing for them. And we, we have to realize that for us, is that when we're Christians, is that God is bringing us along and putting us in certain situations that we may at the time think, God, why are you putting me here? Can't I just be over here where it's nice and, and soft and shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet? Can I, can I be over here? Can, can I be where things are smooth and all? Why are you, it's like the more I'm following you, it's like the more you're putting me through. Yeah, that's right. He's preparing you for something. He's working in you to get you to the place where you need to be. And for us, that's the only way that we learn is through the hard stuff. 
So don't lean away from that thing. I don't want, I don't want God doing that in me. And this is what Peter, James, and John were going through. Keep in mind, Peter, who's the one that said this, he couldn't understand how Jesus is saying, I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, and saying, you get that right. Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to be, I'm going to suffer, be killed, turned over to the authorities, have all of these things happen. How do you, how do you, how do you work that out? People are still trying to work that out today. Maybe you are as well. If Jesus is so great, why did he allow himself to be die, to, to die, to be killed? Well, it's because we weren't great. And we couldn't do anything about it to get ourselves to a point where we are pleasing to God. But Jesus did that on our behalf. Do you see what he did? It, this, this is why, why Jesus... Why Peter, rather, he's coming along to Jesus and he rebukes him saying, you know, this will never happen to you. You're God. Don't you remember? You just said it. Why is this going to happen to you? Jesus, I think you're a little off the mark. And so Peter, James, and John all needed to see what was going to happen. He was going to be killed. Did that mean that he was less than God? No. Well, Peter, James, and John, in fact, it says in Luke 9, 28, it's the only place where it talks about the Mount of Transfiguration like this, where it says they went up on a mountain to pray. And when you pray, what do you do? Well, you get in the presence of God. Maybe that's why some of you may not want to pray. It may be a little too intense. Maybe you've got unrepentant sin that's going on in your life, and you can't bring yourself to get before the, the Lord. That's the, but that's the exact place that you need to be, because he's the only one that can wipe it away. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. And, 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 and what, what is it? Help me. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Okay. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. Don't help me. Don't do it. Don't do it. If, he, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, sometimes we forget. <laughs> See, sometimes we forget. So keep at it. Keep at it. So, where were we? We were. So they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So that word transfigure, transfigured comes from the word in the Greek metamorpheo, metamorphosis. We've, we've been in class where we've seen, you know, these, these worms turn into butterflies and such, but that's creature to creature. What Jesus had to do was to say, look, yes, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be denied. I'm going to be killed. But I need you to see that this is part of the plan, that I'm not out of control. I'm holy God. I, 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 you need to see my majesty and glory so you can understand that this death that I am willing to go to on your behalf is part of the plan. I haven't lost control. Nothing's flying under my radar. This is how it has to be. So transfiguration. So he goes up and he, and how, what does he look like? Well, his clothes become radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. John would remember this, by the way, in Revelation chapter 1, verses uh, 10 to 18. It, it says this. Well, let me go back to verse 9 just to set it up. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom that the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. Patmos, a little rock out in the middle of the Mediterranean, 13 square miles. Not very big. But here John is. And keep in mind about John. John had seen all of the rest of the disciples martyred, except for Judas, who did himself in because of his betrayal. 
but he saw all of the others martyred. He saw the Roman Empire wipe out Jerusalem in A.D. 70, where 1,100,000 Jews were killed. He began to see and wonder what hope there was of Christianity moving. It seemed like it was all gone. He was the last remaining disciple, uh, the last remaining apostle, and where was he? He was out on that rock in the middle of Patmos. What hope was there? Well, look at what John is saying here. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice, to see the voice, but to see the voice, interesting wordage. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, gosh, on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I get emotional because he hadn't seen his, seen his friend in 60 years. When Jesus rose and went to the Father, ascended to the Father, this was what John wrote here in Revelation, it was 60 years later. But how different Jesus was, but it wasn't a surprise to him because he had seen Jesus like this on the Mount of Transfiguration. This, is, this sustained them, this Jesus they were following. He wasn't just a human being. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a great prophet. He's holy God. And so these, these steps that God brings us along to remind us of his glory. Have you been reminded of that lately? Or have you been so soaked in the societal sludge that's going on right now that you can't even see who he is? You're so upset at how things are turning out, you've forgotten his glory. You've forgotten who's in charge. In Revelation, especially in Revelation 4 and 5, the most prominent object that is mentioned over and over there is his throne. He's king. He's working something out. You say, well, boy, I wish he would do a better job of it. In fact, that's what someone once says. That when, I, when I go see him in, in heaven before the judgment seat, I'll, uh, I'll just tell him, I just really thought you did a terrible job with all this. How do you think that conversation is going to go? Not well. And so we have to, as Christians, of all people on the earth, have got to get our heads out of the societal mess that we're in and thinking, if we just get the right president in, everything will be great. If we just get the right governmental fixture in, if we get this policy in, everything's going to be awesome. Really? How long do we have to live to know how utter nonsensical that is? But there is one 
who is sitting on the throne. His name is Jesus, and he is here. And it says his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And in verse 4, now we're starting to mention names here, and some of you may be like, well, that's nice that a couple of guys went to see him. You know, I always like it when people drop in. That's fun. But there's, a, there's obviously a purpose here. And it says here, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. It's important for us to know who these folks are. So when we talk about Moses, let's talk about Moses first since he shows up in the Bible first, chronologically. And so Moses is the one that God used as an instrument to bring the people of Egypt under slavery in Egypt, bring them out of Egypt, walk through the wilderness for 40 years. It was not that long. It was about maybe just a few-month trip, but it ended up taking 40 years because of their disobedience. They ended up going into the promised land. And Moses was the one. Moses didn't actually enter into the promised land because of his disobedience one way. And so, but, but when Moses went up to the mountain called Mount Sinai, and he spent some time in the presence of the Lord. Now, when he came down out of the mountain in, uh, in Exodus 34, he didn't realize this. It says when Moses, Exodus 34, 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, Ten Commandments, He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He had to put a veil over his face. It it was so radiant. Now, that's that's an important word, right? But it was so radiant. But here's the thing. It's the difference between light that's coming from the sun and light that's coming from the moon. Light that's coming from from the sun, the light originates from there. The moon, the light is reflective, of the sun. That, that's what was going on with Moses. It was, he was radiating, yes, but it wasn't coming from his nature. It was coming from the, it was radi- it was reflecting rather off of the radiating nature of the glory of God when he was standing there in his unvarnished presence. And so what Moses, re- Moses represents is the law, which we see in the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The law that is there that is the foundation of everything that God wants his people to do and wants his people to obey, knowing they couldn't do it, which is why they needed a Savior. So that's why even in, Mo- even in the books of Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15, it talks about how Moses is like, there will be a prophet like me to come, like me. That means there's going to be one who's going to lead the people, but lead them well and lead them right. He's forecasting Jesus. He's predicting and prophesying Jesus being the one to come. Moses was always looking forward to Jesus in, in both ways, in both senses of that phrase, right? He's looking forward to Jesus, but he was looking forward, and he was trying to get his people look forward that there was a one who is a deliverer to come. Elijah represents the prophets. And so what we're seeing here is that the, the law and the prophets of the Old Testament they are, they are God's word. They are part of what he's all about. But if you just read the Old Testament, there's a lot of prophesying about something to come. There's a lot of loose ends about a Messiah to come, a deliverer of our sins to come, but it's not tied up because that, that Messiah didn't come at that point. But he would. And so that's why they're sitting there looking at Jesus. They're talking to him. They're pointing to him as they're standing upon the on that uh, Mount of Transfiguration. They're worshiping him. Peter, in verse 5, we have all said things under stress that we look back and say, why did I say that? Right? 
I, I mean, I, I, I could give, I could give lessons on that. I am so good at that. When something comes along and I, you know, I start, I start talking first before my brain actually gets engaged and boy, uh, some good stuff comes out. And that's what happens here with Peter. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. He got that right. That was good. Because Jesus brought them there to see what was going on, to help them realize that the whole point of all the revelation that they'd ever been taught all through their lives and all through history was pointing to to him. Think about that. Everything is pointing to this man who's holy God. Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Why did he say that? Well, one, again, He didn't really know what he was saying. Other places are saying he didn't really know what he was saying. But two, you know, whenever, think about times when there has been revival in your life or you have been in a place where God has been moving and working. In fact, I want you to think about that right now. Think about a time in your life where God just was doing something and it was amazing and the spirit was there and the word was fresh and alive. The songs had that extra meaning and it was just wonderful. Prayer, you felt like you were talking to Jesus as he's sitting in a chair right beside you. Did you ever want to leave that? I know I didn't. There has been times when I've had those times, and I had one of those times very, very recently, which is probably why I'm so weepy now, but I had one of those times very, very recently about how God was just so kind and so gracious when I didn't deserve it, and you know, when, when, that, when that overcomes you over and prevails upon you, you don't want to leave that, and this is what was going on with Peter. This is amazing. We got Elijah and Moses here with Jesus who was like on fire. What in the world has happened? And so Peter was like, we, we don't want this to end, so we might as well be comfortable. So we're going to build these, these tents and so that we can hang out and watch what's going on forever. But was that what Jesus said to him earlier when, he, when Peter rebuked him? No, I've got I've to suffer. I've got to die. You know? So maybe Peter was thinking there was a change of plans, but there was no change of plans. This was something that Peter, James, and John, keep in mind, just three of them went up to the mountain with them. Forgot to say that at the beginning. Why not all 12? Again, but it was all, those three were going to have a specific role, and they needed to make sure they saw his glory that was going to sustain them through all of the trials and tribulations that was going to happen to them later on. We need to see him. So as we, as we go on, they were terrified, cloud overshadowed them, and this is what, this, this is the point of it all that I want to make sure that we don't miss. A voice comes out of heaven, that's his father, comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Now, this is not the first time that God has said this from heaven at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son, and it finished out on whom I am well pleased. That's, that, that kicked off Jesus' ministry. This is right here. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to what? Is this just a general understanding of, well, you should really listen to everything that Jesus is saying. Well, he tells us that, right? When he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Yes, so there is a general understanding that everything that Jesus has ever said, you better pay attention. 
because time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And the more that you decide to just not have anything to do with him, the more you are adding to your basket his wrath. That's what we found out in, in, in Romans 2, 4, and 5. But if you do listen to him, there's freedom to be found. A freedom like with, of, the, of which it's like trying to describe how chocolate tastes to someone who's never tasted chocolate. Rich and creamy, well, that can be peanut butter. Smooth, that can be all sorts of things. But it, only when you taste and see that the Lord is good will you recognize how beautiful and how wonderful he is. But, but I think for Peter, James, and John's sake, there was something more significant. Again, remember when Jesus said, Back in verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and, and three days, and after three days rise again, Peter takes him aside. Why? He wasn't listening to him. He didn't believe him. And God's up in heaven saying, I want you to listen to everything that Jesus is saying, yes, but given what was just said six days prior here, listen to him about this. Because this has to happen. Don't build a house and stay there where, th- th- that'll come later. That'll come with those mansions over the hilltop that we sing about all the time. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that'll be. We sing about that all the time. But now is not that time. There was something that had to happen in order for that glory to happen. And Jesus was going to have to come down out of the mountain and go into Jerusalem. And now, when, from moving on from everything in Mark 9 on, now we're going to see what the plan was. But the transfiguration was a reminder that Jesus is fully in control. This was always part of the plan. This was not plan B, C, D, or E. Ever since we sinned in the garden, this was the plan to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from ourself, to rescue us from this society that is so totally broken. But, and this is why we have to be careful, not only as individuals, but as churches. Why do we want a seat at the table of a society that so hates him and so denies him? Why would we want to emulate that? I think we have to connect with our society, connecting all people to the truth and hope in Jesus. But not to tell society, you're going to be okay. Jesus was transfigured to drive home the plan that he had to suffer. Why? Because he sinned? No, we did. That he was going to be, that he was going to be rejected by the elders. Why? To show them that they were off and he's bringing everything back into play. To... And that he was going to be killed. He became sin for us who knew no sin so that we in turn might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He died so that we might live. He took our unrighteousness so that we might be right before God. There was no other way. There was no other way for that to happen. And Peter, James, and John, when they were hearing that Jesus was going to be killed, oh, he may not be who he says he is, goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Oh, I guess he is who he says he is, although they still had some lessons to learn. They were thinking it was going to be a political figure that was going to save them. And by the way, some of you are there too. You think a political figure is going to save this country. There's no political figure unless there is a mass repentance and a mass revival. 
There is no political figure that is going to be able to save this country. Only King Jesus. He's king. Only King Jesus will be able to, to save them. I'll go into a little more, more detail about this on Wednesday night because I know on verses 9 to 13, and it was talking about Elijah, but what Elijah is is that this was John the Baptist who was coming and preparing the way. It was 400 years from, from Malachi to John the Baptist. There was no revelation. There was no vision. There was no prophet that came along and was saying anything. And now here John is coming in the spirit and power of Elijah to, rest, to restore all things. In other words, to restore all things, to get things on a plan, on a path where Jesus is going to come the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king, and there would be no other prophets that need to be sent after him because he alone is sufficient and he alone is enough. So let me close with this, and I will keep my word on this. Let me close with this. Some of you right now, you're like, I wish I was there with Peter, James, and John. Wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? Well, one, I I think we would be eating dirt because that's what happened with John in Revelation 1, right? When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as though dead. I mean, we, our, our face would be on the ground. There would be no conversation or negotiating. I wish you had done things better. No, there wouldn't be anything like that. Let me guys some things to tell you. There wouldn't be any of that. But here's the thing. We're, we're so wanting that manifestation of the glory. And sometimes when we don't necessarily sense and feel that manifestation of the glory we're thinking oh this place is boring god's not here wrong 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 oh so oh so wrong i want to read to you a passage from second peter chapter one second peter chapter one verses 16 to 21 and some of you are going to take my word for it. That's fine. You can, just, you can just listen. This is Peter who was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Same Peter, same Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You hear that? Eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's alluding back to the Mount of Transfiguration. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Again, another allusion to the Mount of Transfiguration that we just talked about in Mark 9. It's also in, Mark, in Matthew 17. Verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Hang on that one as I keep reading. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The word, the, more, the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, this is the word that he's talking about. And this is a word that is more fully confirmed than the glory that was shown on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm not making that up. I'm not diminishing it. What I'm saying is we diminish this because we so much want a manifestation of his glory that we forget about the glory that's right here. He has spoken. He has shown us himself. He's shown us his word. He's shown us his glory because this word points to Jesus. Every line, every, every letter, everything. 
points to Jesus. But wait, there's more. Knowing, first of all, verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's, someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You want a manifestation of God's glory? Open this book and read it. You want a manifestation of, his, of glory? Open this book and see what it says about who God is and what he's done and what needs to change in you. Not a devotional. Devotionals are helps. Supplements. But what about the real thing? He has given us his word. This is the manifestation of his glory. So when he's up in heaven saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Yes, sir. I will open up your book, and I will listen to you. And what is he saying? Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin. Turn from yourself. Find freedom that you have been trying so many other places to apprehend, and it doesn't work. You're still frustrated. You're still upset. You're still mad. You're still this. You're still that. Nothing seems to work. I'm telling you, if you're trying everything but Jesus... And then you're going to be frustrated. But come to Jesus and see how he lifts that burden off of you. Trust him in all that he is. Trust him in all that he's done. Come to Christ this morning. See him and behold his glory. And never let that go. Heavenly Father, guide us in all that we do and say. I thank you, Lord, that even in our sinful, rebellious state, that you show us your glory in Jesus. And I know there's some people here that are they're just trying so hard to do it on their own. They're trying to overcome their sin on their own. They're trying to follow you on their own. They're trying to do this on their own. They're relying on something that happened 40, 50 years ago, and yet their, their lives, Lord, may not show anything about you or very little about you. Lord, it's not about decisions. It's about devotion. It's not simply about just something we did a long time ago and then we can go on our merry way. You have saved us. You you are to sanctify us. We are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. We are to turn our all over to you. And Lord, if that hasn't been the case, if we were told all we got to do is just say a prayer and sign a card... And that's all we need to do. That sounds great, but that's not what your word says. We're to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow you. We are to die to self. Thank you for showing us your glory because we see where we are in comparison. I'm ready to die to self because because we've seen the glory. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him being the word made flesh who dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Thank you, Father. If there's some here that need to trust Christ as Lord and Savior, this is the morning. Now is the time, your word is said. Today is the day of salvation. May this be the moment. Use us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's another hymn that is a prayer, Savior, Like a shepherd, lead us. 
I'll say this. We're going to be held accountable for every word we say. Do you want him to lead you? Then sing with all your heart. If you're not ready, then I want you just to listen to that message. And when the time comes, maybe during this song, when you're like, yes, I'm ready. Savior, like a shepherd, lead me. Lead us all together in lockstep with you. This is the morning. Will you trust Christ as Lord and Savior? And if you already have, will you continue to give your all to him every day, every hour, every minute? Let's stand together as we sing.